0: good evening or good morning wherever you are on this rotating globe welcome to another edition of the other side of midnight that magical time between dusk and dawn when well we kind of cover everything here we look into outer space we look into deep time we look into various controversies I mean there are far more controversies now than when I was growing up in fact when I was growing up I don't remember almost any controversy, certainly not of this silk. I do remember my mother making a big deal out of a book called The Search for Bridie Murphy. And um I always wondered who who was Bridie Murphy. I found out eventually. Anyway, that's that's kind of covering the field of reincarnation. Tonight we're gonna be kind of coming off last night because you know the jury's pretty much in now. There are ancient artifacts all over Mars, and they're, from our other work, all over the solar system, which means they're out there. And there are a lot of people who think they're here, and uh, in the form of UFOs, spacecraft, things flitting over the Pacific Fleet, dive-bombing the Nimitz and the Roosevelt, etc., etc. So tonight I thought we'd take a kind of a deep dive into... A very ancient set of documents, texts, uh, religious sacred texts of the Western tradition, which is, of course, the compilation of sacred texts known as the Bible, and you know there are several different versions of the Bible, Um, but in a lot of them, and even in a lot of other sacred texts from that era thousands of years ago, ranging from the uh, Far East to India to, oh, almost every place on the planet, there are, there are those that speak of and write of extraordinary things seen in the sky, and then extraordinary beings who kind of pop up from time to time throughout history and claim they are from the sky. So we're going to delve into all of that tonight against the backdrop that we're just kind of waiting for the um, clock to tick for the inevitable now to take place, which is the magic D word disclosure. I mean, what is disclosure? Well, if you look around, there's an awful lot of things being disclosed. It seems the worst thing you can try to do these days is keep a secret. So, um, with that as kind of foreshadowing, uh, we'll get to our guest uh, shortly. Uh, what we want to do now, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, is to hit the high spots of some of the latest news. If you go to, for those of you new to the show, we have something called Radio with Pictures, which I stole freely from RKO. Um, What you want to do is go to tonight's show for Sunday, March 14th. You want to click on our banner at TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com. That banner, which talks about UFOs in biblical translations, will then take you to tonight's guest page. And under the banner there which is near the top, you will see a, um, uh, a line which says, fast links to items, Richard and William. Um, Richard is me, You see him holding my hand up, and William is my guest tonight. We will get to him shortly, but you want to click on those fast links. That will take you to my items. And the first item is, is, is the reason why science is really important in trying to figure out what's going on vis-a-vis the virus, the vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. As you know, there are uh, three major companies now that have brought forth successfully uh, tested and uh, approved vaccines for COVID-19. There is Pfizer, there is um, uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson, and there's Moderna. Then there's a fourth, which has been approved in other parts of the world, particularly Europe, but the FDA and the CDC have not approved it here. And this first story is why. In in, in a weird way, this is reassuring because several countries now, several countries in Europe have stopped distribution of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was done in conjunction with Oxford University in England, because there are similar reports from widely separate European countries of anomalous blood clots being created after the vaccine was administered. And that of course is a showstopper. And so Ireland is the latest to join the growing chorus of countries that are saying, wait a minute, something is not right. So what's reassuring is that our folks are testing and retesting and examining the data and the test trials and all the other information and they have not approved uh, this vaccine. And it looks like now they will not approve it until more work is done, which of course is the way the procedures are supposed to work. So I would keep a close eye on this developing story because there is of course the other part of the story, which is not all vaccines these days are created equal. And when we do our vaccine shows, uh, we'll get into that in great detail, And something called CRISPR technology, which uh, before she died, Robin was getting very intrigued with. And so that is a major discussion to have on another night. But I just wanted you all to be aware that uh, this is the state of the art when it comes to this Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. And we will um, keep you informed. Item number two, which is right under, of course, item number one. Uh, Last night, we had a major discussion, prescinding from previous weeks where we had major discussions regarding uh, what the Perseverance rover is finding on the planet Mars. And um, as part of this developing press interest, once again, in Mars, um, we have an article tonight why some scientists believe all life started on Mars. Last night, the article had to do with why we may never find life on Mars and why that might be a good thing tonight. There's another group of scientists saying that all life in the solar system, I don't say solar system. They basically uh, talk about the earth, of course, which is the only place where we really know that life uh, currently exists. But these guys think that all life here began there. So, I put these two opposing points of view up to show you that basically, unless you include the artifacts, unless you include the stunning big stuff and small stuff that is strewn all around the Perseverance lander, the Curiosity lander, they are also rovers and wheels, and even going back to Sojourner and the um, uh, Spirit and uh, Opportunity rovers. In every one of these surface missions, in fact, if you really want to be a stickler, going all the way back to Viking, yes, there's a stunning photograph from Viking, which just sat there on its legs, no wheels, couldn't move. It was so frustrating to be a JPL in 1976, the summer of Mars, the summer of Viking, and know that just over the horizon, there could be something amazing. We could never get to see it. Well, it turns out that uh, when Viking landed, Viking 1, in the medium distance, there is an object, I swear, looks for all the world on the best now enhanced imagery, which means, you know, that, that word enhancement to some people is kind of like a red flag. It implies, oh, they're doing something to the pictures. No. What they're doing, if you followed Keith Laney's discussion last night, is getting down into the noise and bringing out the maximum signal in terms of light ratios, color balances, resolution. And so new software is able to work on old digital data, just like it can work on new digital data that's noisy. So by applying the new software to these historically amazing images from Viking, Um, A few years ago, I found something which, and now, of course, we're going to have to put it up on the site, which looks exactly like an old-fashioned 1912 steamer trunk, complete with metal bands and rivets. And it's sitting out there in the middle distance, right next to the Viking Lander. And, of course, we didn't see it way back when. Because the software, the algorithms, the imaging software, the processing software was not good enough to bring it out of the noise. And now it is. Remember Moore's law? Everything gets radically amazing in 18 months, a kind of a doubling time for speed and access and utility of software and its capabilities, et cetera. Well, proof of the pudding here is there is sitting on the Viking original images right next to the lander. Evidence of not microbes, not little burrowing furry creatures, but guys who could make steamer trunks. And you might ask yourself, well, what the heck is a steamer trunk doing on a desert world? Well, Mars was not always a desert, and it may not be again. Which brings us to item number three. I really am intrigued with how many people take pot shots continually. It's it's almost like a parlor game. It's almost like that uh, drinking game um, where you take a shot every time something is mentioned. Uh, Except in this case, you don't want to do it because you will get absolutely stone drunk before the evening is over with another negative story about Elon Musk. This time, um, a former royal astronomer name is Martin Rees, has written um, that Musk's idea of living on Mars is about as delusional as to talk about living on Everest. And, you know, the article is there. What I find interesting is that we have all these folks suddenly, you know, cramming for airtime, wanting a voice in the whole Mars discussion, and uh, Dr. Rees is basically saying, the vision of inhabiting Mars, of colonizing Mars, of moving some human beings, not a lot, you know, because they'll, they'll they'll have children uh, as kind of insurance about putting all your Basques in one exit, as I said to uh, our, our friend last night. Um, there appear to be this, these stories that come out again and again and again about, you know, let's, let's dis on Musk once more time, one more time um it's just there for kind of a you know, counterpoint but it is a prelude to a very serious effort by the chinese and the russians who apparently have now agreed i don't know whether they're to the level of signing the documents but they've agreed to build a lunar research station on the moon together now the chinese already know their ancient artifacts on the moon why Well, because they published the pictures. And as I said last night, I have a feeling, an eerie feeling, that that did not bode well with folks upstairs, Um, extraterrestrials who are very close to us, who may have left here at the end of World War II, uh, in, in some models like Richard Dolan's, who voiced the concept of what he termed a breakaway Civilization, namely Nazis armed with extraordinary developments in anti-gravity technology and free energy and the building of real spacecraft, who basically, when the fourth Reich collapsed, third Reich collapsed here, went out there to establish the fourth Reich. And my model is they're trying to come back, and that the COVID-19 epidemic pandemic is directly due to them. We are at war tonight with somebody upstairs, bad guys who do not want us to continue to inhabit the earth and are doing something very sneaky, I believe, to eventually come back and take over. that's a very long, very complicated, very um, controversial discussion, but there are data points to support it. Against that backdrop, there is this other much longer history of extraterrestrial appearances, in other words, folks out there who come here and who look exactly like us. If you rode on the subway with them or you shared, you know, a a stadium event, when we can share stadium events again, or you went to a party, you wouldn't know they were not from here because in the model, they are genetically related. They're part of what I call the extended human family which gets to what Neil Armstrong was really saying when he lands on the moon and says, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And of course the controversy is, Oh, there's a missing a no, in this analysis, there is no missing a, the man he referred to was himself representing the folks on earth tonight, or back then 69. And the mankind referred to all those cousins, that enormous extended human family across a good portion of the Milky Way who um, some come here from time to time and kind of check in to see what's going on. And again, in the model, some of those I believe in these ancient sacred texts have been misinterpreted as angels, um, uh, saintly visitors supernatural beings, uh, maybe even God herself. So tonight we're going to be talking with a very interesting guy whose name is, well, let me, let me me give you his formal biography here. Okay. William Wallace Wagner, see his family loved the end of the alphabet was born in small, a small coal mining town of Logan, West Virginia. He received his BS degree at WVU in 1981 And subsequently did graduate studies at Marshall University and the University of Charleston. He is one of those people that always had to have uncharted waters in front of him. And as such, has lived over 20, has had over 20 jobs in his work career, ranging from coal miner to bank manager and a lot in between, like millman, water plant operator, farmer philobotanist. What the heck is a philobotanist? I'll have to find out. International sales and more. He is currently retired. Yeah, sure, sure, as you're going to hear. Nobody retires from this stuff. And is happily married to his wife, Maria. They currently live in Bedford, Virginia, near the peaks of Otter. And without further ado, Mr. Wagner, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: Since that's such a sketchy bio, I want to delve into you know your growing up. I lived in uh, Virginia and Maryland, rural Virginia and Maryland, so I know what that part of the country is apart from the cities. What was your growing up like? How did you how did you develop a curiosity that extends now all the way into the supernatural, other dimensional realms, and conscious beings? Who may not or may have bodies?
1: Well, you're you're hitting on a good point. Um, yes, I grew up with uh, a mother who really loved science fiction, ah. and and we made a point, as you probably remember, back when we had every bit of. Three TV stations to watch. <laughs> it was a big deal to watch Monday night at the movies when it was a 1950s <clears> science f- fiction movie like The Earth stood oh, still or something like that. Oh my god, one
0: of my favorites, Just, and in oh, black that's and one white. Of my favorites too. I yeah. love that movie. One in, well, it was all
1: in black and white. You know,
0: did did you have a Dumont set?
1: Uh, no, no. We had RCA.
0: Um, there was Dumont. There was Zenith. There was RCA. There was General Electric. Um, Zenith was. Remember Zenith's kind of catchphrase? The quality goes in before the name goes on. The
1: name goes on. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I remember about uh, Zenith is they had that space command.
0: Oh, Um, the the first remote. And it wasn't electronic. My grandparents got one of those because my dad's – my grandfather swore by his big Zenith TV, which had a big screen, huge cathode ray screen. So it was, you know, you could sit like on the other side of the room and see everything. <clears throat> and they had one of these little space command remote
1: tuners. And you know how they worked? Well, I knew how they didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I could sit on the floor and, and jingle change. Back then, it was silver change, and it would make the TV change channel. exactly panels.
0: because the little box. You press the buttons,
1: tuning fork
0: that was resonant to different frequencies ah. and the the, the the TV had a receiver in it to listen for those tones. And when it heard that frequency, it would change the channels. I don't think it was able to change the volume. Maybe, maybe no, I don't think so, but it changed the channels and you could literally hear it go
2: plink, 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 plink
0: as you press the button. So it was an acoustic based tuner. To give way eventually to electronics and you know LEDs and invisible beams of light and all that, but that was such a cool gadget because you literally with the TV off you could have fun with it
1: if you were young. That's how we that's how we and our family uh, coined the term clicker, and that is yes, with us that's
0: why it was called a clicker. Yes. Now. Yep, yep. It was it was the clicker. Where's the clicker? Where's the
1: like cl- you know, that? Kind of oh, that's still that's still common in our household.
0: <laughs> so you grew up with your what 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 other authors did she did she like?
1: Well, she she I guess was was taught in junior high that man would never walk on the moon. Really? And they used the word never. Really? And um uh when we walked on the moon, I remember we had a moon party, and the whole family came in. I watched that Zenith TV. <laughs> we did have Zenith at that point. I think it was color also, mm-hmm. first color TV, and um, it, it was a, a big affair. I mean, everyone was glued to it, and so this, this part of space and, and science fiction I've, I guess, always been acclimated to and, and always enjoyed. And um she she also loved Eric Van Donegan, re- with his book that came out. In the nineteen seventies, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. I could not put that book down out of yeah. the way once I opened it. And um it's just been, you know, part of my life. Let's let's put it that way. She she always wanted to see a UFO or a craft and she never got to, but she had a very, very open mind and uh we had some really marvelous discussions as i was growing up and uh uh both my both my parents and i've had some good discussions we we all know that there is life elsewhere out there so. i'm kind of surprised she didn't see anything cuz logan west virginia <clears throat> the skies are really dark <laughs> well there have been uh some sightings there Uh, That I've noticed since i moved away. But uh, no, we did not see uh, any crafts growing Hmm. up. Hmm.
0: I remember I was visiting my grandparents on my mother's side. And they were in a little place called Mount Airy, Maryland. And they were on a ridge. So you could literally look toward the south. And eventually your sight line would encounter over the horizon Baltimore. I remember seeing one night because I was out with a telescope <clears throat> taped to a curtain stretcher for a tripod, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, you had to be careful in the dark because the curtain stretchers had all these little hooks on them. That's why they recall curtains. They literally used to stretch curtains. My grandmother would, you know, wash the curtains, starch them, and then they would stretch them over this wooden gadget with all these little hooks to, to make them flat. And then they would dry that way, and then you would hang them up, and you'd have nice rolls and pleats and whatever. Anyway, so I'm out there in the dark with a telescope, and I see this weird reddish light over the distant horizon from the elevation of Mount Airy, Maryland. And I focus the telescope on it, and it was four lights side by side, tilted at an angle, red lights with spacing in between.
1: And oh, occurs- this sounds interesting.
0: Well, it, it didn't do anything except it just kind of faded away, like with distance, got smaller. But it, you know, looking back now, i I was like what 12, 13, something like that. It to me it was weird. It was not usual. It was an aircraft, and even looking back now, I think I can account for the reddish color because it was so far away that the atmosphere was scattering away the blue light, and all, like the reason we have red sunsets so only the red light was left but i don't remember any aircraft in that era that had four equally spaced equally bright red lights either as running lights or landing lights or whatever because landing lights when you when a plane is landing and is turned toward you they're so close together that they're basically one bright white that scintillates this was different and it's one of those things that, to me, it was a UFO, probably an airplane that I wasn't familiar with. But to me, it's
1: still unidentified. The technical, I guess, definition for UFO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me interject real fast that um, I had the pleasure of working with a professor at uh, Liberty University, which your audience may know to be a rather conservative christian university in lynchburg virginia yeah and we were working together side by side one morning at the time in which i was a mailman and he made the comment which i'll never forget and it really really hit home and that that is that we don't call them ufos anymore that's too threatening we call them crafts craft hmm. crafts or craft hmm. So um, that's that's pretty much what I inter- intermingle with uh, UFOs or, or crafts now.
0: Well, this brings up the obvious question. When did you go from mom reading sci fi to religious interests?
1: Well, it started around 1980s, uh, probably closer to the late 80s, um, just started really getting interested Uh, with what the Bible had to say, primarily prophecy-oriented. I guess you might call me a prophecy geek, Um, study all kinds of prophecy, Uh, most of it in the Bible, some of it not in the Bible. Uh, And I I do believe uh, a lot of it, if not most of it, is true. And since then, I've been, you know, had a background with conservative methodist and conservative southern baptist so i've sung in the choir done church work uh taught sunday school done some sermons when the pastor wasn't there that kind of thing so i guess you would say i'm fairly well read i've uh studied it quite a bit so i guess you would say i'm self-taught so you were not
0: raised in a religiously uh, disposed family but you came to this later in life
1: well i mean we went we went to church occasionally but uh it wasn't you know topics that we discussed we'd probably discussed ufos more than more than <laughs> we did what was in the bible so uh it was i would say later in life yes and uh probably through 88 up until all two years ago I guess you would say, would would be a lot of study. Since then, I've uh, pretty much become ecumenical. Um, it's hard to find a, a specific church to go to now when your beliefs have been altered like mine have. So, hmm. Well, maybe
0: you should found one. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when this comes out, you know, you heard my opening monologue about the up on Mars and oh yeah in the solar when that really hits the fan, you know there's going to be a religious revival, the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetime.
1: Well, Barry, Doctor Barry Downing, whom uh, I have interviewed, by the way, uses the word meta-reformation, mm. and that's exactly what what the uh, religious community and the the uh, priests and preachers and whatnot, as well as divinity schools. I mean, it's really going to be up to them to calm down society when this comes out, the big D, that is.
0: I'm not so sure about the calming down part, because I have a feeling that those communities that are really conservative, and we we have to actually, i tell you what, let's hold it here. My guest this morning is uh, Wagner Wallace, or is it Wallace Wagner? See, yes. there's too many D's, too many <laughs> W's, you know. It's Wallace Wagner. We shall return. Because tonight we're looking at religiosity, the St. James Version, King James Version. I haven't you know, canonized him yet. And UFOs in the Bible. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And we shall return.
3: this is dr andrew kaufman natural healing consultant welcome to the other side of the news where they're open to hearing the truth and take it seriously the first thing you got to look at is the methods like nothing else matters because that's where they describe the experiment so then you can decide if what you can conclude from the experiment (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and that's really really important because you know, they make false claims and people don't understand how to use statistics. And all these things could be misleading. What I notice that they do now is they put the methods section at the very end. And in some papers, it's in a separate document. That's like an addendum. So in other words, they just present the, the results and conclusions and an introduction section. And nobody looks at the methods. But that's the most important thing, because if you don't know that, you don't actually know what they did. Because, you know, there's a lot of art to experimental design. And, uh, you know, some people can be very clever about it. Some can be very elegant about it. But there's also like many ways that things could be fudged. And there's books on this, right? Like one of Bill Gates' favorite books, How to Lie with Statistics, Then you know, you have the John Ioannidis article, which is one of the most highly cited papers where he says more than half of all published research is false. Right. So, Mm. but, but how many scientists, when they go to read a paper, say there's a 50% chance that this article is false. So I better read it really carefully, right? They don't do that. But all this clinical research, it's really just, it's really marketing. It, that, that's what it is. It's not actual research. With this, the vaccine trials, you know, it, it's just they basically designed it exactly perfectly to show what they could say. You know, that bogus 95% effectiveness, uh, that's the, the relative risk reduction of having a test. And it's not even the overall risk reduction would be like 0.4% but they describe it that way. It's a statistical trick where they could say 95%. And they also define the outcome and then they had to wait seven days after the vaccine, but all the people who got sick within that seven days didn't count. You know, all hmm. kinds of uh, tricks. They're, they're, they're experts at this. They know, <laughs> yeah. they know what they're doing and, and it's really hard to even figure out what they're doing.
0: Side midnight for this Sunday night, March 14th. Uh, you may uh, recognize Hail Holy Queen with my favorite, favorite, favorite Star Trek person, Whoopi Goldberg. Our Speaking of Whoopi Goldberg and her character uh, uh, Wagner, in uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going to completely bollocks up your name tonight because there's too many W's.
1: <laughs> I didn't have any say so on my name.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I thought. You know, there's there's uh, there's also the confusion with the internet www dot
1: <clears throat> Wagner. Well, that 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 is true. <laughs> uh, that's happened multiple times.
0: Anyway, what we played in Star Trek and there's a very long backstory, but the bottom line is you played this extraordinary being out of time named Dynan. And so when you when you delve into the idea of extraterrestrials as as you know, replicated or communicated or recorded, textualized, immortalized in the single most important western religious document, people are going to pay attention. So What got you on this trail? I mean, uh, there there must have been some connection point between, you know, mom, science fiction, and religion.
1: Well, the the connection point might have been Flash Gordon. Oh, wow. That's a (laughs) (laughs) left-hand turn. We all watched that growing up. But... um, having having come from a, a, a conservative background, I was the one to always read between the lines. And, 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 and when you're reading the Bible, and we did this all the time in Sunday school, we'd come upon a phrase or a sentence that made absolutely no sense. So we'd go to the commentaries and see what these so-called experts would say. And more often than not, Guess what? That was left out. Or you're given some watered-down response, which really makes, you know, no sense at all. So I've so come to the conclusion that, that a lot of these tough topics and um, references to crafts in the Bible, they're purposely not mentioned. I guess they want to keep all the all the sheep inside the gates. But
2: let
0: me stop you there, because one of the things I found out when I was starting on this extraterrestrial highway, uh, you know, writing a book on ancient artifacts on Mars and the city and the face and the connection with humanity and all that, the most receptive audience I had before, you know, Art Bell kind of found me was the religious communities, all those what we used to call Bible thumping stations, both individually. And then, you know, there were a couple of uh, religious networks that I got on and, you know, they were fascinated. They were enthralled. They were so open and receptive. And looking back, you know, I'd always been taught that, you know, fundamentalist religious communities, um, Baptists or, you know, Seventh-day Adventists or whatever, were really, really narrow-minded. I found exactly the opposite. They were the most open and appreciative of the potential for what we'd found on Mars, what NASA had found back during Viking, uh, of any of the audiences I initially talked to. You know, I, I, I would really contradict the idea that there's conscious suppression. I would say it's just vamping to fill in profound ignorance. You've got to say something. So you say something, but it's not the real thing because you don't have the context, and we haven't had it for a very long time because of wider cultural suppression and few people being able in those days to do their own homework. Now, of course, with the internet, everybody, if they want to know something, they can figure it out.
1: Yeah, and about 90% of it's correct, too. <laughs> just kidding. But, um, well,
2: there, you have to you learn know, how to balance comes sources. In many
1: different flavors. Yes, right? true. So, so, the realm I come from, uh, from the South, um, pretty much the Earth is 6,000 years old. If you see a UFO or a craft, it's delusion or it's from the devil. And if there are any beings out there, they don't look like us since we're made in God's image, then they must not be from God. That's that's kind of what's been instilled in my brain uh, for the last 20, 30 years. So I guess those are the people I'm really trying to connect with, uh, with crossing the crevice. Okay. Now, all right, you
0: brought it up. I've been wanting to ask you all evening, why crossing the crevice? It sounds
1: like you're leading an expedition in the Antarctic. <laughs> um, well, I had another title called Crossing the Chasm, but it was taken. Oh, don't and crevice oh wait, 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 wait.
0: Well. You can't copyright titles, so you could have just
1: appropriated it. I know, but I wanted something a little more original. Okay. And, and, and crevice, you no. Know, it it'll work it, it it does okay and 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 I, I think for for if you're questioning what the crevice is it's kind of like when when disclosure hits mm. will it be like hg wells war uh, Wales war, war, uh, war of the worlds uh that was broadcast back in 38 and rebroadcast in chile and ecuador the latter of which had, you know, six or I believe it was six people killed and they actually tore down the radio station. So it hasn't been played since. So I I want people to be ready and and to have open minds. And so I'm kind of preaching to the choir because I I come from this same realm. So I've had an experience which changed me, so I want to share it with with the people and, and you know I, I cast a very broad net and cover uh, quite a few topics in the book so hopefully uh, I can connect with okay. you know, the people with one topic
0: you opened the door what <clears throat> was
1: your experience well it was 2016 i was a mailman at the time here in Bedford county it was a beautiful September day, the bluest blue sky you can imagine. Uh, it was cool, so the air was very clear. And there was a layer of scattered clouds, roughly all about the same altitude. And I just made a, a delivery to a lady and stuck a package in the carport. and was going back to my vehicle.
0: Okay, so this was in your mailman incarnation?
1: Yep. <laughs> One of many incarnations. I noticed, yes. (laughs) And uh, something told me to look up. So I was literally, excuse me, in 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 the lady's front yard, and I indeed stopped and looked up, and right over my head, it was there. It was gleaming, white, snow white the whitest white you could imagine. And it had no business being there <laughs> because it had no wings, no windows, no nacelles, no exhaust, nothing. Was it moving would, or hovering? At the time I saw it, it was stationary. Ah. It was cylindrical or oblong in shape, straight sides, Rounded ends. Uh, it was about 50 feet long, 30 feet wide. How could you uh, estimate the size? Estimate. Um, I guesstimated it to be about 2,300, 2,500 feet above me, and just using best guess. So. so it was below the clouds? It was right beside a cloud, and all the clouds were at the same layer. So uh, I could see that layer as it hit the peaks of Otter, which is a a rather large peak here in the Blue Ridge, which is about 4,000 feet high, Mm. and calculated back from that. So it was about, I'm going to say, 2,300 to 2,500 feet up in the sky. So you
0: got some good cross measurements, 50 feet by – that's almost like like a rectangle as opposed to a cylinder.
1: Well, it was an oblong object. Hmm. And, and it just I've, was
0: brilliant white. Was it luminous or was it just very, very, very reflective?
1: I've thought about that. I think I would say very, very reflective. I don't think it would uh, gave off any light. Uh, it was just extremely reflective uh, and appeared as the whitest white you could imagine. And I got to see it for about three seconds. And then it either cloaked or took off so fast that I could not see it and if it did take off, there was no sound, no disruption to the little cloud it was beside hmm. uh nothing I mean if it took off, it <laughs> just took off like that, and well, you know, if there was, was
0: no going. disruption, I mean that kind of is involving other technologies for, you know, attenuating atmospheric disturbances and all that. I think one of your first comments, you know, it may have cloaked, is probably more accurate.
1: Well that that's what I believe. Uh uh I know that we are in the process of developing cloaking technology. Oh we have we've it. Got, we have it. Yeah, as far as the blankets and things of that nature, but I, I don't think we have it in craft that large, do we?
0: Um, At least publicly, certainly not publicly. But you know, there's a real easy way to do it.
2: <clears throat>
0: you put some kind of panels that are basically video panels, uh, like OLED technology, which is rollable and thin. And you know, the, the the craft is covered with them, and you've got cameras aimed in the opposite direction. So you sit, simply take the image from the other side, project it on the panels, and you blend in. Ah, it's kind of like I'm camouflage Rich. in World War 2. Rich can
4: I interject here? Yeah, real sure, quick?
0: sure. B- this is Bob Keith Lazar. Morgan, our resident I... UFO expert.
4: Yeah. Bob Lazar said that uh these craft when they were in action and, and sitting still, looking straight up at them, they would do a lensing effect and bend the light around them so they would be invisible. Mm. But if you were off at an angle and looking at them, then you could see them. So uh, this is part of the part of the properties and now that the military has re, um, filed their patent for their electro propulsion system that uses microwaves to actually allow you to fly thousands of miles an hour and Make right-angle turns at full speed because it negates inertia This is the kind of technology that they've been sitting on all this time and they're finally getting up off of it so um, well, yeah, it's they, part
0: of this creeping disclosure, you know. You know, uh, Wallace. They're bringing this these patents out under the guise of several people. I think that nobody invented this stuff. They back engineered it, but
1: that's just me. Well, well, Keith. Since you're on here, and and, and Richard, do, do you do you think that the, the craft was ours? Because I've wondered that. I'm saying I'm wondering. Did they want me to see it? And then I question myself: Who is they? If
4: it was triangular shape, I would say probably yes. If it was any other shape, I'd say no. It was
0: a very stubby cylinder with rounded ends. It doesn't sound like ours.
1: I called it a Tic Tac, and I believe it's the same thing that uh, the Nimitz. Oh, now that's
0: interesting because if you uh, – I uh, I don't remember the dimensions of the Tic Tacs. Do you, Keith? It's very close to what I mentioned. Okay.
3: Well, then
0: it it, it could be – I still don't think it's ours. I think it could be the breakaways because they were doing all kinds of dive bombing things on the Nimitz, you know, going from 80,000 feet to the deck in two seconds. seconds—in what I take to be a show of force, a kind of a demonstration. I don't think our guys would do it because they want to keep our stuff secret. Certainly not the regular military to know what's waiting in the you know, closet. But mm-hmm. if you're dealing with an enemy someone who's trying to um, psychologically put you in a negative position, that kind of demonstration of power would be very, very, you know, derogare, called for. And it would not be truly ours, but it wouldn't be truly alien, given the breakaways are humans. And the technology development seems to be... What, What year was your sighting again?
1: 2016. Okay, September so of that,
0: 2016. Okay, well, the Nimitz was what, 2014?
1: Or was that the Well, Roseville? It actually happened in, in 2004, I believe, but they came public in 2017. Oh, I'm thinking of the Roosevelt on the other coast. Which actually, is, go yeah, ahead. They
4: had three sightings, uh, 20, uh, 2004, 2014, and 2015. Those are the videos that they released. Ah, okay.
0: So, yeah, it probably, in, in my model, it's, it's the breakaways. And the question is, why were they hovering above you? What were you doing other than delivering mail?
1: That's a, a nothing,
0: except I've always wanted to see one. What were you interested in? Were you involved with your church? Were you?
1: Oh yeah, I was definitely involved with the church at that point in time, teaching Sunday school and and okay. all kinds of you know singing in the choir. What other things
0: in town could? someone be interested in with that kind of technology and power?
1: The, the only thing we have here locally is the D-Day Memorial. Okay. And I, I know that we did have another sighting here in town uh, a few years prior to that. Uh, I can't give a lot of detail. It would all be second and third-hand information, but people actually stopped and looked up and Saw things going on okay. in the sky with some orbs. So. Okay,
0: let's, let's, let's come at this from another direction. After you saw this, what impact did it have on you, on your life, on your career, on your interests, on things you did? Was it a life-changing
1: experience? It was, but not initially. Initially... Well, the guess, initial uh, part
0: doesn't count, because if someone <laughs> was after you, if they tagged you... Visually appearing over you was intended to change your life. In this well, model,
1: maybe they knew I would write a book. I mean,
0: well, remember with this physics, <clears throat> time is very fluid.
1: Well, true. Um, let me let me just say that that. Well, tell us after, tell us what
0: what happened after. Yeah,
1: yeah. After the Nimitz. You know, no, 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 no. After, af, after you're citing. You're that citing same say very little. I, just re, I, I mentioned it to my wife. I mentioned it to a few close friends and family members, as well as my Sunday school class, and kept the rest of it just to me, uh, uh, wondering what I saw, and... Was it a UFO trying to rule out the weather balloon, trying to rule out uh, Google taking pictures of the earth and all that <laughs> stuff? And, and okay. I've come to the conclusion I, I really saw a tic-tac, which is the same thing that the, the, the Navy
3: had okay. been seeing.
1: So that changed me immensely. Uh, I went from having an open mind to knowing. I mean, there's a big difference between – you know, having an open mind and then believing and then knowing. Now so, I
4: know. So did this I all- had a sighting when I was in high school. Um, I was I was the, uh, I was a drum major for our marching band at High Point, and we had just finished marching band practice in the fall, so it was dark. I was waiting for my father to pick me up. I'm sitting on the steps leading to the band room, along with one of the band members, and I'm not thinking about anything. And I see this light out at the horizon, and it's zipping. Covering blocks in a matter of just fractions of a second. And I'm saying, Look at this plane. This guy's got his foot in the tank, and this thing makes a 90 degree turn straight up, Uh cuts back at a 45, cuts back at another 45. I'm now standing up, going, What the H am I looking at? And the guy waiting with me, and I remember his name because you don't forget someone's name when you sit there watching something. His name was Adite Chui Chui Chuaqui. And we used to call him <laughs> Chewy, and this was before Star Wars came out. Okay. Right? And I'm I'm going. What am I looking at? And he said, I live over there, and every now and then we see see that, and we don't know what it is. Mm. And I, my father picked me up. I told him about it. He said, uh, When I was a pilot, I used to see spots in front of my eyes. I said, Do You got a spot too. <laughs> he had spots in front of his eyes. I told Phil class this oh. at Nightline when he was on with uh, Stanton Friedman, and he looked at me and said. Oh, you saw a spaceship from Alpha Centauri. And that's what got me started.
0: Well, you oh know boy. that he was pulling your leg.
4: I okay, I know it.
0: I knew I knew he, Phil. Phil was the most cynical guy about this stuff you could possibly imagine. So let's get back to Wallace. Okay. Um yeah. so I guess it was the tic tac story in December of twenty seventeen that triggered Collapsing time, and you said, "Oh my God, that's what I saw." I was vindicated. Wow! Did
1: you brag so, to your family and friends and tell them, <laughs>
0: "Look at that! Look at that! New York Times. See, I'm not
1: nuts." I wouldn't say I bragged, but but it was confirmation. You and, let them know, uh, okay? Well, in in any case, uh, it, it affected me to the point that I went back to the Bible. And a lot of these areas that were gray are now—no pun intended, by the way—are no longer gray. Uh, UFOs are mentioned throughout the Bible, uh, and and not only that, they go back to Roman times and before. So there's documentations from Josephus, from the Sky Army to to all the way up to, as you know, the uh, Nuremberg woodcut that has you know battling armies in the sky, uh, all the way up to this very day. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands.
0: Well, did didn't didn't Charlemagne see something that then he adopted as the cross as the as the standard of Christianity, et cetera, et cetera?
1: He, he saw a cross uh, uh, in the sky, and it changed him. So, mm. I guess that's how. Christianity got you know brought into the Romans
0: so this was a long fuse and when the Nimitz story hit you go oh Hmm, pun intended
1: oh my god (laughs) yep that's exactly it and then and then for the last two years I've been involved with the book and I guess COVID had a lot to do with that too because you know you feel like you've been cooped up in your house for the last 13 months so you know, it, it allowed me to work on on crossing the crevice, you know, pretty much full time. And, and I want to get back to what you mentioned about disclosure. I, if you would have asked me six months ago, you know, would disclosure take place in my lifetime? I, I would have probably answered no. I don't think so. But with what the Navy has come out with recently, and even you, you can focus on uh, the American Air Flight 2292 from Cincinnati to Phoenix uh, a couple Sundays ago. Those pallets were allow, allowed to go public, and American Airlines basically said, Yeah, they saw something. If you have questions, contact the FBI. Now, that's a long cry from mm. going back to the JAL flight back in '86 over Alaska. The no, so called captain, walnut shaped job. UFO
0: that exactly followed right, a 747 the size of an aircraft carrier.
1: You got it. And uh, a captain, I believe you pronounce his name Terrace hmm he, he ended up having to take a desk job because he went public. Mm. So, w- w- you know, we are making. I guess, a few strides in, in, in bringing oh, this out. Oh, I think we're making far more than that.
0: Look, it, it, it's been a constant acceleration of mini disclosures. You can't get more mainstream, squeaky clean mainstream, than the damn front page of the New York Times. Come on. That was the <laughs> beginning of the – I mean, look we're, what we're all waiting for now. We're waiting for the Senate Intelligence Committee report sponsored by uh, uh, Rubio, Senator Rubio from Florida. Yep. which is late June. We're waiting for NASA to get their act together and stop doing insane things around Perseverance. We're waiting for the Chinese to separately land on Mars and say, oh, my God, look at this. There were ancient people here. In other words, we're at the cusp. And as long as it's ruins or archaeology or testament in ancient sacred documents, that's okay. The thing that I think, uh, Wallace, that will freak people out is when they land on the White House lawn. If, in fact, someone is dumb enough to plan to do that, that would be too soon, too fast. So there has to be an acclimation phase. We go back to
1: Brookings
0: in the 1950s. Oh, yes. And President Eisenhower and all that. So That's in my book, by the way. We're Excellent. We're in the pre- preparation phase to admit they're
1: here. Well, let me ask you this, since since we're chatting on this subject. Uh, and we don't have the time the to chat
0: because we are at are the top don't? of the hour. So Darn. Hold, oh, yeah, hold, that, hold, that, hold your fire. We are on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. My guest this morning is Wallace Wagner, William Wallace Wagner, Jr., would be interesting if it was the third or something. Anyway, we shall return. Do not touch that dial. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now,
5: the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today, and when I say we really need you, we really need you.
0: Over and out.